0: still have a tremendous number of people that are very high wage people, particularly in tech and high tech that are working from home and home may be in a completely different part of the country than the headquarters of the business they're working in. So that a person who moves to a small town like Let's say Salado, and is still working for a corporation in, let's say, Austin or New York or San Francisco or someplace where the cost of living is very high, is getting paid as if they were living in the big city where where the cost of living is very high. But they're living in a small town or a smaller city where the cost of living is relatively low, but they're spending that money. They're buying things, they're buying houses, they're buying cars. So you've got the money coming into these. Places, which is showing up in a lot of things in the economy right now, very good for the economy. But it also causes inflation to rise in these towns because more money is coming in, which causes price to go up. I mean, it's supply and demand, simple, straightforward supply and demand. We have an Ace Hardware here in, in Salado. And if, as more and more people move to Salado, whose job is actually in Austin and are making much higher wages than you would get in Temple or Colleen or in the local area, They will spend more money as they spend more money. That's demand going up. And since the supply is pretty static in this area, the prices will go up accordingly. And so inflation is getting spread around very democratically.
1: Once more into the breach, dear friends else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. McClure. Um, We took last week off and played a best of. That's almost an oxymoron, so best of meaning for our program. Uh, But we're back with both both bald-bearded people present and accounted for. It has been six weeks since uh, Elder Baldy Jeff has joined us on the air. Welcome back.
0: Well, it's good to be back.
1: Uh, I was doing a biological experiment. Yes, on yourself. Yes. Yes. Fa- and a vacation. And yes. a vacation. Previous to that was the vacation where you were doing right. uh, a survey of the desert.
0: Well, actually, of ancient civilization in the desert. That's yes. You're pretty close, yeah. yeah.
1: So, welcome back. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach. It is a program about... Finance, the economy, investing, and everything else except sports. Uh, Those are our sports. Uh, However, we have some disclosures we must give before we continue. The name of the program is The Personal Wealth Coach. We're bald. We're bearded. We like puns. Got the majority of the disclosures out of the way to begin with. If any of that offends you, you should quickly change the channel. Um, However, the personal wealth coach is also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. That's not coincidental. This program had the name first, but the firm has two principles that are also the people that are talking. What do we call Anchors. That means we sink very quickly. We are the two sinking uh, principles. Uh, the SEC says that we've got to say that the firm is registered with them. And then we have to immediately follow up and say that just because we're registered with them doesn't mean that they have given us any kind of endorsement or any kind of um, approval, approval, or even, uh, at a boy or at a girl, none of that occurs. That is not their job. Uh, and we're registered with them to give investment advice, uh, which is a bit, you know, uh, hard to do on the air. Investment advice means fiduciary in the best interest of the person receiving the advice. And we don't know everybody that's listening and it's not private. So that's not in the best interest. So what the heck are we doing on the air? Hopefully education. We are going to be edumacating the world. Uh, You want to give your disclosure?
0: Well, the information that we present on this educational program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. That's actually a big thing.
1: It is, because there's a lot of information out there that may not be correct. There's a lot, a lot of, lot of information in- out there that's correct, that is interpreted incorrectly.
0: And there's a lot of sources For information that seem to not particularly care about accuracy or completeness or balance or anything else. So it makes life interesting.
1: Our last disclosure, after having trashed the mainstream media in our uh, very subtle and esoteric way of they're not correct. Um, (laughs) A lot of times they are. Uh, The last disclosure is that we do not pay for this program. Uh, It is not paid commercial advertisement. We don't get paid either. We've been doing this. I've been doing it since 1998. You've been doing it from since the end of 96, which is some kind of voluntary torture to give up our Saturday afternoon or Saturday mornings to provide you with information that you may or may not find acceptable. Um, we do buy advertisements for this program at normal market rates. Uh, then the studio does as well. But I don't think they pay themselves. So they advertise for us and we advertise for us, but only on about the program. All right. Yeah. Uh, I have something we're going to segue right way into a question that we have here. And the segue, first, the question's from Inquisitor John. Thank you, John. Um, He is our most faithful questioner. The question he has is, any ideas why India can't fix the jobs creation problem? How am I going to segue to that from what we were just saying? Well, pretty simply, you just said that the Energy Information Administration released a report that global oil production production is likely to increase, increase by 1.5 million barrels per day. okay, And this is after OPEC+, Plus, that includes Russia, have said that they're going to tone down their exports. We're still going to have more oil per day this year, according to the uh, Energy Information Administration. So what is that about? What does that have to do with job creation in India? Something interesting is occurring here. In the United States and in India, the government does not designate jobs for people. In China, they do. So the story that is a, a digital picture of the paper Wall Street Journal, the analog form uh, sent by John. The story is India moves in on China. That's the headline. And his, his circled area is with so many people entering the workforce. He's talking about India here. You have to run twice as fast as, so you can stay in the same place. This is a quote from Ashoka Modi, who's an economics professor at Princeton University. He's also the author of the book, India is Broken. You might have an idea what his his thoughts on India is based on the title of the book. Um creating jobs, he added, is a problem that the Indian economy has never solved. Why? This is really it. Why can't why is they can't why can't they fix their job creation problem? Because there is no person in charge of the Indian economy, just like the United States economy. Uh India has a democratic uh form of government. It's Sort of representative, it's kind of sort of a republic, but it's mostly a democracy. It's just based on popular vote for most things. That's important to understand. That means businesses that form or fall apart have very little government direction. There's regulations they have to follow. Their regulations are a lot less severe than they are in the United States. If you want to, you know, start a coal mine, you've got to do a lot less permits there. Uh, So. What's going on? How are they having a problem doing job creation? Well, in China, about 30 years ago, there was a big push to subsidize companies in China from the Chinese government when taking on manufacturing roles from the rest of the world. So they pushed for it and they gave a direction. And many of these companies are at least partially government owned. The majority of them are government owned. So this is a thing. China went into this with direction and force, kind of like how they handled the, uh, the pandemic. Direction and force. Everybody just stay home. Where in the United States. It's like herding cats. Every governor had a different way of handling it. Every mayor had a different way of handling it. Uh, the county commissioner courts were doing it differently from one county to the next. That didn't happen that way in China. They're, they're much quicker at reacting to things but they're less effective in the results of the reaction. We kind of test things out in democracies where we go, what works? Well, how do we know what happens here? It's because you got 3,000 different companies trying out their best bet. And after you see which ones fail and which ones make it, you sort of come to a conclusion of, here's how we do it. And that's what's happening in India. India is taking on a lot of manufacturing jobs that are leaving China right now. That's the, the... that's the whole concept behind the article. Uh, India moves in on China. They have a lot of people. They outnumber the Chinese now for the first time. Starting to, we, we announced that in the middle of last year when it was not a headline. I've seen lots of headlines about it since. But India now outnumbers China. It's the most populated country on the planet. And they have a lot of people that are in very, very low-pay jobs that could be upgraded to higher-pay jobs for manufacturing. Relatively quickly, all things being equal. Here's the other cultural problem, though. There is still a very firm caste system in India that goes back thousands of years that says that you do the job that your parents did. Period. That's what you do. And if you don't do that, there is a lot of negative cultural influence on you. It's like scarlet letter type stuff. You are shunned from your community for doing something different than your father or your mother did. That's going to take a while. But once the benefit of doing it becomes evident, and it will, it will take off. And it's already happening in a lot of the major metropolitan centers of India that sta- standards of livings are going up. This job creation problem is a caste system problem, and they have been busily shedding the caste system system over the last 100 years, I think that is going to increase in speed over the next 20 years or so. This is a big shift. And India has a lot of changes that they have to make in order to be creating jobs at a good level. Um, And once those jobs require a certain level of skill, then the training for that will come on. It happened in China. They had a cased system too. And with government input the case system kind of fell apart. And in India, with monetary input, the case system should be falling apart. It's, it is a cultural thing more than anything else. And hopefully I didn't beat that subject too hard. Um, would you like to go on to the next subject? Sure. The economy is the next
0: subject, but that's all we talk about.
1: Yeah, we're always talking about the economy. Um, well, I have a couple of a story that's a good one. Okay. Um, this I think it's a good one anyway. Uh, and it's a Wall Street Journal story. The headline is Americans escaping pricey cities bring higher housing costs and inflation with them. And this is something that we've talked about in the past about locality of inflation. Uh, Phoenix has a much higher inflation rate than Minneapolis. San Francisco has been, if you just moved from North Carolina to San Francisco, if you had done it 10 years ago or today, you are going to experience inflation that is going to make your eyes water. It's very localized inflation. When people concentrate wealth, a lot of people live there that have high incomes, prices go up. It makes housing harder for lower income people, so they have to live farther away, which means they have to charge more for their services when they go to the metropolitan area to work. That causes localized inflation. During the last year, we've seen a lot of people running away from these local inflation spots, but still keeping their jobs at the high pay of that local inflation. So if you moved from San Francisco to North Carolina, you're like, this is great. I can buy this house for cash and it's a much bigger house than the one that I left and I can keep my old job and I'm buying all these things for less expense. But now the money is moving to North Carolina and the housing prices go up because all these people moving from San Francisco to North Carolina cause the housing price to go up. So you start seeing... North Carolina's inflation rate go up with the people that are coming from higher inflation rate positions. And this is actually a good thing. It makes inflation more uniform. It's a good free market thing where you find a cheaper house somewhere else. and You go to it. It helps to allow lower income people to have some access to San Francisco. It doesn't help if you're living in North Carolina and you want to buy a house right now. Because you don't have a job in San Francisco that's paying you San Francisco wages. So this is how inflation spreads around. The ripple effects of these are just fascinating to watch. They're not necessarily fun to participate in.
0: I'd like to add something to that. One of the factors that is causing this is remote working. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's a lot of stories about remote working is gone. Everybody's being called back to work. It's not true. We still have a tremendous number of people that are very high wage people, particularly in tech and high tech, that are working from home and home may be in a completely different part of the country than the headquarters of the business they're working in. So that a person who moves to a small town like, Let's say Salado, and is still working for a corporation in, let's say, Austin or New York or San Francisco or someplace where the cost of living is very high, is getting paid as if they were living in the big city where where the cost of living is very high. But they're living in a small town or a smaller city where the cost of living is relatively low, but they're spending that money. They're buying things, they're buying houses, they're buying cars. So you've got the money coming into these places, which is showing up in a lot of things in the economy right now, very good for the economy. But it also causes inflation to rise in these towns because more money is coming in, which causes price to go up. I mean, it's supply and demand, simple, straightforward supply and demand. We have an Ace Hardware here in in Salado. And if as more and more people move to Salado, whose job is actually in Austin and are making much higher wages than you would get in Temple or Colleen or in the local area, they will spend more money. As they spend more money, that's demand going up. And since the supply is pretty static in this area, the prices will go up accordingly. And so inflation is getting spread around very democratically.
1: Yeah. And to talk about warmer cities, cities that have a warmer climate are experiencing a much higher inflation rate than cities that have a much colder environment. How's that for weirdness? Why would the temperature of the... Of the ecology have anything to do with inflation in the economy because people want to live there (laughs) They, they, they want to go and live in a place that's warm in the winter which is one of the big attractors for a lot of people coming to austin there are some exceptions denver is seeing high has seen high inflation up in the way into the double digits the the municipality that's seen the highest inflation measured by the consumer price index from a year earlier is Phoenix, which is running around 16% on its inflation, where our average across the country is much lower. And Minneapolis, is we're talking about 3.6% inflation year over year. So not a lot of people move into Minneapolis is what you get out of that. Uh, If you look at the places that have the highest inflation, you're going to see Phoenix, Tampa, Florida, Atlanta, Dallas, Denver. Uh, Those are... Denver is the only one of those that I just listed that isn't way up in the uh, warmest of environments, but they have skiing all through the winter and into spring. Uh, So they have this, I want to live in Denver concept. So any place that you've said in your life, I'd sure like to live there. Other people, when they could work remotely, do live there now and they've increased the prices. Uh, And My my father, Elder Baldy who's back on the program today, has a statement that I have held on to dearly, and I believe it is solely attributable to him. Um, the beauty of any location is inversely ah. proportional to its cost of living. Uh,
0: the ability to make a living.
1: Do a, the ability to make a living. If you want to go live in Honolulu, and you don't have a college degree, and you say, I'll just do something, you're going to find it's really hard to just do something because there's a lot of people just like you that went to Honolulu to just do something, or Denver, or you name the location, Miami, wherever. It's harder to make a living in places that are gorgeous and that, whose environment people go to spend vacations in. And that's going to be more important as the remote work continues. And what you just said, there's a lot of companies that are requiring people to come back to the office. That is really not the case in most of the programming world. Most of the small programming firms, code writers, have found that Zoom is fantastic. They actually don't like to sit in the same room with other people anyway. They want to work alone, but they want to have some guidance from their employer on what they're supposed to be working on. Productivity is up there. The advent of AI makes that go up even farther. Payment, pay, salary in those positions is also way up. So people living remotely doing code work, that's not going to go away in the near future. I know there's a lot of people talking about AI replacing programmers forever. No, you still need programmers to be able to read the code that the AI writes and tell it when it's being really dumb. Because sometimes it still is, a lot of times, it's still really dumb when it comes to this sort of thing. It's a time saver. So this is an interesting concept of what happens to demographics when inflation changes. Demographics meaning where are people concentrated? Where are they moving to or from? And how that spreads the inflation across the United States in a very interesting way. At some point, people might all want to live in Minneapolis because look, the cost of living is down there, and the um, the location's not that bad, and you can afford houses really easily. And so Minneapolis may have something in its future. This is pretty normal. I re- recall a time when Austin was the place that had the low cost of in, in, of living and had a really educated workforce. That's what attracted tech to Austin. It's low cost of living. They left San Francisco to come to Austin. Now Austin is rivaling them. That happens. It happens repeatedly throughout history. Uh, The people that left Oklahoma in the Great Depression to head west into California because cost of living in California was lower, the price of land in California was cheap, Anybody could go and farm there and make a living, except that when everybody went to do it, that wasn't the case anymore. This is just demographics and economics. They go hand in hand, and, and it's overly fascinating to me. I know I can probably go over the top on the subject, but I think it's it's fantastic.
0: There's a couple of things I want to talk about. One is the secondary thing I want to talk about is the dollar um, and the noise that's being made that the dollar is going to be replaced as a as the global de facto currency, the reserve currency.
1: They, they, the other, they, that big, noise big, has been going around for years.
0: Oh yeah. Well it's it's gotten louder recently because there's some people beating the drums on it, namely Russia and China. Um and apparently a lot of people there there are enough people who are echoing the policy the, the propaganda policies of, of Russia and China in the United States. Because they basically are down on the United States too. I mean basically the extreme right and the extreme left are all mad at the united states and so they'll accept any negative news about the united states and repeat it and it gets swirling around But the big thing i want to talk about is what's going on in the economy so i've got two subjects the what's going on in the economy and we'll try to make it as simple as i can but it is putting things in perspective is really important at this point we have had an economy over the last several decades that has run along with the exception of short periods of time, has run along at a fairly constant rate. And when it wasn't running at a constant rate, such as during the Great Recession, uh, during the pandemic, um, there was that was a relatively short period of time. It was addressed directly, monetarily, and we returned to that sense of stability and the sense of very minor changes and continued to pedal forward. So we've gotten into this habit of assuming that the economy runs along at a steady state. we like things to run at a steady state. We like things to go in straight lines and we project things out in straight lines, but it doesn't work that way. What's happened and we're seeing the effects right now and it's causing a lot of is that during the pandemic, we had a major externally caused slowdown in the world economy. And I want to emphasize world economy, not just the United States. A major slowdown, a recession, a, a pretty severe recession, even though it was very short, it was pretty severe. Uh, but it was not because of the traditional things that caused recessions. Recessions are historically normally caused by a supply demand imbalance. In other words, there's a lag. People are buying more things as they have more money. Their wages go up. They buy more things. They start charging on their credit cards, and they tend to buy things while they're feeling good about buying things. So demand gradually rises. But there's a, And then and, and the people who are selling things have to get the things ordered in advance to sell to the consumer. That's what drives our economy. There is a lag there. So when the consumer runs out of money, when the credit card balances get to the point that they're uncomfortable or a whole series of things begin to happen like that, they slack off on their buying. But the retailers and the wholesalers and the people who supply the things that they buy from restaurants to uh, hardware stores, have invested a lot of money because they've seen the demand rising. And so the supply level continues to rise while the demand falls off. This is the beginning of a recession. Buying slows down, inventories build up, uh, people stop ordering stuff because because they've got too much stuff, and that causes people to lay people off. And the people who have too much stuff have spent a lot of money borrowing money to get too much stuff. And there's not as many people coming in and buying things, so they start laying people off. So you start getting people laid off, you have less money in the economy, and it starts down. At that point, the Federal Reserve starts lowering interest rates, and we find a nice little bottom sometimes. Sometimes they pump extra money into the economy, and we start back up again. But it's a slow movement. It is a wave-type movement. It has strictly to do with supply and demand in a system that has lags. Now, that That is hard to get your mind around unless you've studied it, but that's normal. When we have an external cause for a major recession is rare. We just had one with the pandemic. The violence of that requires the Federal Reserve to step in, the government to step in, and infuse a lot of money into the system to keep that recession from turning into a depression because it was a major issue. It's like having a severe injury or having a bad case of COVID or having a car accident. You have to have something infused in there, or things are going to cascade downward. Well, that's what happened. Coming out of that recession, that artificial, that that externally caused recession of uh, of a pandemic, we did. We pumped a lot of money into that, and the economy took off. The economy had to do a lot of catch up because people had money to spend and there weren't enough things to buy. There weren't enough. And, and what's worse in, in, is that initially, because we weren't going out to eat, and we weren't going to theaters and so on because of the pandemic, we were buying physical objects, stuff or goods, as it's referred to by economists. We were buying goods and the price of goods went up. So we had inflation. Then we shifted back over. To, and then just as the goods side began to catch up, remember the supply chain issues and the empty store shelves and and there wasn't enough stuff. And of course, now we're having too much stuff because we overreacted to it. Suddenly, the consumer decided it's okay to go out to eat again. It's okay to go do things in groups again. And when they did, the demand shifted from stuff to services. And it swamped services, which is where the inflation continued at that point. So we've gone through this, what Jake likes to call, cattail issue, this this whiplash, it isn't over yet because it keeps echoing back and forth. It, is, it is, Each wave is less severe. What we're getting right now is the economy, this is my opinion, is the economy was running so fast and so hard that it was unsustainable. This is where we got inflation. We got too much activity going on in the, in the economy as we played catch up, as, as everything whipped back into shape.
1: Just just as a side note, as we were playing ketchup, the Canadians were playing mayonnaise. Right. And
0: it isn't just the United States that's doing this. This is going on in Europe. It's going on all over the world. And, and, and it isn't anything to do with U.S. stimulus or U.S. policy. It was going on everywhere. Dude. As a matter of fact, inflation is probably worse in Europe than it is here right,
1: right now. Uh, I've got a story right here on uh, uh, from The Economist, which is based in the U.K., Britain's inflation rate is not falling fast enough. It's still double digit. They're still up at the 10% yeah. mark in Britain. And there's, they've got their own policy issues there that has a lot to do with Brexit and their free trade going away and all of that at the same time as all the rest of it that hit everybody else. All right, back so, to you.
0: So what we're getting now is actually a return to normalcy the economy is not it's not there yet we're still running too hot a little bit the economy is slowing back down to a normal sustainable rate well historically when we see the economy slowing from it has been slowing from the normal sustainable rate once it starts slowing that is the first indication that we're in that period of time that's going to lead to a recession and so we've gotten rooted in our economists minds and and public minds that when certain things happen, it means the recession is coming. It does if the economy was running along at a normal speed. I mean, if you're driving along at 100 miles an hour and you slow down by 40%, you're still doing 60 miles an hour, which is quite fast and quite stable and probably a good speed to go. If you're driving along at 50 miles an hour and you slow by 40%, now you're doing 30 and there's a problem. You're not going to get to where you're getting on time. And if you're doing 30 miles an hour, there's something wrong with your car. We're, so we are not. This is why I don't think if we have a recession, it will be relatively minor. Um, the bottom line to it is we're simply returning to normal. If the economy slowed as much from normal as it is likely to slow to get to normal, we would have had a recession. We would have a recession right now if it had slowed that much. This is why the indicators are pointing on one side to a recession. And on another side, for instance, the price of copper, which is a very strong indicator, will have a recession if it goes down a lot, isn't going down. It's actually risen this year, which indicates the economy is speeding up. We are in an unusual condition and we have to look at it in perspective to understand it. And we're almost out of time for yeah. this hour.
1: We've got more to talk about on that subject, something that we haven't talked about in a long time, capacity utilization. And when your engine is running at 100 miles an hour, your capacity utilization is a bit higher than it should be, up in the 80% range. And running at that range for a long period of time will cause a recession. But it took us about five years running at 80% before we had the Great Recession. And we weren't running at too high a capacity leading up to the recession in 2020. So we are kind of at a higher capacity utilization now than we were then. We need to bring that down a bit so that we have some wiggle room. And we're about out of time for this hour. We'll talk about the uh, fascinating subject of capacity utilization from Fred, the Economic Data Center at the St. Louis Fed, next hour. For those of you that find that Ultra fascinating. If, it caused, if those words cause you to drool and your eyes to glaze over, uh, you're probably listening to the wrong program. Sorry about that. We're trying to make this entertaining as possible, but interest on interest rates is a little bit low these days. <clears throat> so, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give fiduciary investment advice to people of relatively high net worth. We do portfolio management and uh, implementation of our advice where we can. Uh, The local number with voicemail waiting during the weekend and real live people during the week is
0: 254-947-1111. You can
1: reach that same line toll free should you still have a landline at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can find our made for radio faces, our wonderful staff. You can read our newsletter going back lots of years. You can sign up for the newsletter to receive it when we publish it. Uh, You can listen to our radio program also going back way back. You can find podcasts wherever they're found and contact form or Jeff or Jake at TPWC.com.